We're going back to Genesis chapter 1. We were there last week looking at the six days of creation. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to consider male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. Look at our verses, chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Last week when we were looking at Genesis chapter 1 we saw that God made everything. God made outer space, he made the sky, the earth and everything in them in just six literal days. And on the seventh day God rested from his creative handiwork. The fact is restated in the fourth commandment where it is given as the pattern for all of us to follow. That is that we are to do our labour, our work in six days and then to rest on the seventh day and where we can make very good use of that time on the seventh day of rest if we just think about God, our creator. Think about the fact that God created everything, including us. And indeed he makes those who are trusting in Jesus then made new creatures in Christ. You are a new creation if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. With six literal days of creation in mind, we saw that the evolution of animals and vegetation over a period of millions of years, billions of years, depends how many zeros you want to stick on that number. It's nothing more than a lie that is being actively promoted and taught as fact in our academic institutions. The truth of the matter is that Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 Those verses teach that all the different kinds of vegetation were made on the third day of creation. We also saw that all the different types of birds of the air and sea creatures were made on the fifth day according to their kind and land animals were made on the sixth day according to their kind. That according to their kind is so important to understand and appreciate. It doesn't mean every single species Every t- kind of animal, God made them on, on the, the, when he made them in that um, six days of creation. Last of all, we saw that God made man in his image on the sixth day. We saw that amongst other things, being made in the image of God includes having knowledge of God and it involves um, having a holiness and a righteousness of God. To be more precise, to have the righteousness that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we shall again look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 where we see it is written, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God 
created he them, male and female created he them. First of all, God made made man male and female. There are verses in the Bible that take quite some explaining. That's probably down to us being slow to understand. Everything about us is um, tainted with sin and that includes our ability to understand things, especially God's truth. You know, we can read the same verses over many years and, and, uh, it, and I speak for myself here, it takes a long while before the penny really drops at times and I, I, I understand it. It's not that God's not clear, it's just that I'm just slow to understand, simple as that. But there are verses in the Bible, they really don't take any um, explaining. When we looked at what it means to be made in the image of God last week, we turned over to the New Testament, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians and Colossians, to help us in our understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. And it was through looking at Paul's writings that we could see that it had something to do with knowledge of God, holiness and righteousness. But what we're looking at today, I would say it's self-explanatory, even for me and and perhaps even for you as well. Let's have a look at it again. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, and it's the last bit here in verse 27, Male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. Do I have to start turning to other pages of the Bible to, to, to help us in our understanding? I don't think so. God made man on the sixth day. He made man male and female. Something we all understand. The details of the very first male and female that God made are given to us in Genesis chapter 2. Concerning the first male, Adam, look at chapter 2 verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And concerning the first female, Eve, we'll have a look at chapter 2 verse 21 to 23. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. I don't know how many people have have, have dismissed that. It's clear, again, what we see there. I'm talking about Christians that dismiss these verses. Verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. So there you have it, Adam and Eve. Furthermore, we can see elsewhere in the Bible that it is not some random occurrence when a child is conceived either a male or a female. It doesn't just happen that way. Um, by chance. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, there was a woman by the name of Hannah. She was barren. She couldn't have any children. And she prayed that God would give her a child. But not just a child. She prayed for a man-child. She wanted a boy. 
And God answered according to her request, which was no doubt in line with his own will. God answers us, uh, our prayers, and he certainly answered Hannah's prayer according to her request for a man-child. But God, first and foremost, God answers prayers according to his own will and good pleasure. And Hannah gave birth to a son and called his name Samuel, meaning asked of God. So there you go. God gave Hannah a baby boy. What you can be sure of is that right from the very beginning, God made people male and female according to his will. When when a child that is conceived is male, it is because God has ordained it that way. Similarly, when a child that is conceived is a girl, again, it is because God has ordained it that way. It is God's decree. More broadly, the ratio of males to females at conception is about even, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That it's about even. You can understand why God would ordain it that way. However, the ratio for births is different. Not conception, but births. It's not about even there. And one good reason for that is because there are an estimated 73 million unborn babies murdered each year globally through abortion. And particularly females being aborted in some countries and cultures. So that messes everything up. Um, We have males and females conceived in roughly even numbers and then of course um, we have this horrible thing called abortion or child murder and everything gets mucked up there. In the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 7 and verse 14 it is written, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And sure enough, in fulfilment of that prophecy, the Son of God came into the world, miraculously conceived, and born a male child, and not born a female. The Son of God came into this world, born of a virgin, and his name is is called Emmanuel, God with us. The rebellion of sinful man, women and boys is our next consideration. At this point I want to turn your attention once again to Psalm 2. I'll have to stop doing this, it's becoming, I guess it's becoming repetitive. I just keep on turning to Psalm 2 these days. Psalm 2 was written by King David about a thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. It describes man's rebellion against God and against his son. Let me just read to you Psalm 2, verses 1 to 3. David said, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against his anointed, or against his Christ, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. We see that rebellion, uh, by that rebellion in the world against God, against 
our maker, almighty God. Spurgeon made some helpful comments on those verses. He said, note in verses 1 and 2 that the commotion is not caused by the people only, but their leaders foment the rebellion. The kings of the earth set themselves in determined malice. They arrayed themselves in opposition against God. It was not temporary rage, but deep-seated hate. For they set themselves resolutely to withstand the Prince of Peace. As for verse 3, let us be free to commit all manner of abominations. This is what man says. Let us be our own gods. Let us rid ourselves of all restraint. And the greatest example of uh, rebellion against God, what was that? It has to be about 2,000 years ago when King Herod, uh, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, the Jews and the Gentiles, they all gathered together and they crucified and they slew, they killed the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. When they carried out the lust of their wicked hearts and the lust of the prince of this world, the devil, they did so in accordance with the, the foreknowledge of God. They did so according to his predetermined counsel. And God laid upon his only begotten son the iniquity of all who trust in him. And if that includes you, then the Lord Jesus Christ was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. Your iniquities were laid upon him. He bare your sins in his body and with his stripes you are healed. You are forgiven. Not one or two sins, not some of your sins, forgiven all your sins, past, present and future. And it have to be future because there's no one in here who will not sin again, whether it's in the next minute or the next hour or before the day's gone. You have forgiveness for all of your sins if you're trusting in Jesus. So, but we see the rebellion against God and against his Christ, the Prince of Peace. It's in Psalm 2 there. And that rebellion against God is particularly evident in transgenderism. So that's a word that we've all come across in recent times, isn't it? Transgenderism. People who are transgender identify as female, even though they were born male and vice versa. And let's, let's just remind ourselves again, God decrees whether we're conceived and born male or female, that's of course if we're not aborted before being born. But even that, ultimately, every, I do believe that God is in control of everything. But what I want to bring to your attention here is transgenderism are natural born males pretending or, or, or declaring themselves to be females and vice versa. And it was only a couple of days ago, I, I was reading some news, I don't know how I got onto it, that's probably when I was preparing this actually. Uh, we now have a, a, a politician in the UK, the UK's first 
transgender MP in the Conservative Party. I just, I suppose that day had to come and it has come. And further afield in America, you've got transgender uh, senior, very senior officers in the military in the United States of America. Again, men pretending to be women and vice versa. How did that all start? Or how has it come to be what it is today? Barack Obama, whilst holding the most powerful office in the world as the President of the United States of America, encouraged transgenderism when he jointly used his Departments of Justice and Education to declare that all learning institutions that take federal funds from kindergarten through to graduate school must allow students to enjoy enjoy the lavatories, locker rooms, showers, other facilities and sports teams that correspond not to their objective genitalia, but to their subjective gender identity, what they identify as. So if a man identifies as a woman, then he must be allowed to enjoy all the facilities that have been set apart for women, for females. With regards to the world of sports, we now have a situation where biological males who have identified as females are competing against, and not just competing against, but trouncing biological females in prestigious sporting events. People who, when they were men, were probably mediocre when they were competing against other men, are trouncing women uh, uh, since identifying as women. For example, William Thomas, who was a mediocre uh, swimmer, male swimmer, he's a biological male, and uh, I've seen a picture of him, he's got shoulders as broad as a bus. He identifies as a woman, and he has adopted the name Leah. Thomas competes in the most prestigious intercollegiate sports competitions in the USA. Now these are big. The winners of these competitions end up being in future Olympic uh, Games winners. You know, this isn't low-level events. So Leah, as he calls himself, competes in these prestigious intercollegiate sports competitions in America... And in March of this year, he won the women's 500-yard freestyle event. The governor of Florida, however, Ron DeSantis, spoke about that event and said, By allowing men to compete in women's sports, the National Collegiate Athletics Association is destroying opportunities for women, making a mockery of its championships and perpetuating a fraud. It's terrible what's going on. God, let's remind ourselves our verse now. Male and female created he them. God made man in his image. Male and female he created them. And what are we doing? We've got men pretending to be women and women women being uh, pretending to be men. Ups- just making a mockery of the natural order. Much closer to home, I went into a local high school, a local high school, that's a giveaway, isn't it? 
And to my utter astonishment and despair, I noticed a sheet of paper in the colours of the rainbow on the student notice board. Guessing that it had nothing to do with the covenant that God made with Noah after the flood, I had a look and I saw that it was a notice from the school's LGBT association. I didn't realise that those things existed in in the high schools. That was a a bit of an eye-opener. Perhaps I'm just naive. I'm sure I am. I've since discovered that there is even a push to indoctrinate primary school children that transgender behaviour is normal. It's normal for boys to pretend to be girls and girls to pretend to be boys. For example, there's a book called Can I tell you about gender diversity? And it is described as a definite go-to guide for all schools. It's designed to be distributed at schools, primary schools. It's in that kind of language with those little pictures in it that are easy to understand for primary school children. The book begins with the words, My name is Kit and I'm 12 years old. I live in a house with my mum and dad and our dog Pickle. So far, so good. When I was born, the doctors told my mum and dad that they had a baby girl. And so for the first few years of my life, that's how my parents raised me. Well, they would do because the doctor said that they had a girl. This is called, this is called being assigned female at birth. I wasn't ever happy that way. And the book goes on to discuss Kit's transition to wearing boys' clothes, giving herself a boy's name, and even having gender reassignment drugs and surgery, all in a primary school book. And the surgery, which is nothing other than mutilation of the body. How how else can you describe it? It's mutilation. Terrible thing. And it's just being presented as normal in books for school children. The youngest and most vulnerable people. So, it's not just the rulers of the earth who encourage males to pretend that they are females and vice versa, females pretending to be males. As we've seen, schools do it, authors do it, and even the clever people Get this now, the clever people of the British Medical Association have said that pregnant women should not be called expectant mothers. Now what could be wrong with that? Why is a pregnant woman not to be called an expectant mother? The reason they have said that it it is because it might offend pregnant women who have chosen to identify as men. If it wasn't so serious, it would be laughable, wouldn't it? So when a woman is pregnant, you can't call her a, 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 a pregnant mother because she doesn't want to be a mother. She's a, she might want to be a pregnant father. It's ridiculous, but this is, what, this is what it's come to. You can see something seriously sick in the human mind here. It's called sin, of course. We can laugh at it, and uh, if you don't laugh, you probably go crazy. But it is... It's, it's, it's sin, and it's very worse. 
where we where we where we make this pretense. And it's something that is encouraged by our leaders and by the clever people of the British Medical Association and so on and so on. Presidents of the United States of America encouraging men to identify as women and vice versa and allowing it and, and enshrining it in laws. And you have, to, you have to ask yourself, what is going on? And the answer is very simple. Again, we go back to Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers, take counsel against the Lord and his anointed, his Christ. It's just rebellion against God. Transgenderism encourages people, even little children, to make their own laws, to to define themselves and to be free to express themselves as they wish. And you might, let me just say that again, because you might think, well, what's wrong with all of that? I will say it again. It encourages people, including children, to make their own laws, to define themselves, to be free to express themselves as they wish. And you might think, well, let them get on with it, providing it doesn't affect me. You know, what's the, what's the big deal? However, the point is that it, that males pretending to be females and females pretending to be males is a violation of what we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. God didn't make us that way. God made a man male and female, not so that we could pretend to be the other. We can consider the rebellion against God as seen in homosexuality. I'm sorry I'm bringing these things to you tonight in a way, but they're so topical and we need to realise the extent of what is going on in our world and in our society Not only has God made man male and female, but furthermore, he has decreed that sexual activity between males or between females is an abomination. In other words, it is detestable. That's what it means to be an abomination. It's detestable to God. Males having sexual relations together or females having sexual relations together just look at verse um, chapter 2 of Genesis again. It's completely a violation of what we see in Genesis chapter 2 um, where Adam says in verse 23, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. It's a man and a woman cleaving together as one flesh. This is something that God has ordained, and it's beautiful. And this is how it should be. In the Old Testament law, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, It is written, 
Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. In other words, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. A man should not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. And in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, we we see just how much of an abomination it is to God. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, it is written, If a man also lie with mankind, so if a man lies lies down with another man as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. We've got the abomination again there. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. That was the Old Testament law. The death penalty, it was a capital offence. Clearly, God regards homosexual activity as a various sin indeed. There are those who say that that was the Old Testament law. Again, even Christians or professing Christians people who claim to be Christian will say, that's the Old Testament, get with it man, we're in the New Testament era now the Old Testament law, it's gone it's finished abrogated, done away with but then you would just have to without looking anywhere else without turning to any other scriptures you could apply a bit of common sense here and you could think to yourself well, okay then I wonder, has it really been abrogated or done away with? If God has called something detestable or an abomination, would it then be acceptable to God? Having been detestable, does it somehow then become acceptable to God? And I would say no, most certainly not. If something's detestable to God, then it's detestable to him. He's not like us, where he changes his mind from one day to the next. But we can turn to the scripture and see that it is still an abomination to God. For example, in in Romans chapter 1, which I read to you earlier, the Apostle Paul was saying that such wicked behaviour happens, homosexual behaviour happens when men and women deny God and they worship the creature rather than the creator. When that happens, God gives them over to their vile affections, so that, quoting the Apostle Paul here, the inspired writer of Romans, Paul said, women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust towards another, Men with men, working that which is unseemly. The burning with lust. Men for men, and women for women. Doing that which is unseemly. And this happens in a world where people wave their fists towards heaven. And they, 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 I say they're not accountable to God. They don't imagine they're accountable to God. Or they try and remove God. Um, because they don't want to be accountable to God. They break God's bands asunder and cast God's cords away from them, at least for now. And they do that which is unseemly. As transgenderism is being embraced and recognised in ungodly laws that are enacted by our leaders, 
so too is homosexuality, so much so that the laws of over 30 countries now permit same-sex marriage. It all started with Holland, the Netherlands in 2001, England got on board in 2013, and true to form, the Isle of Man followed suit in 2016. All of that is despite God in the beginning instituting marriage between one man and one woman and as we saw in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. In fact, in fact, the only sexual relationship that is acceptable to our maker Almighty God is one that is between a natural born, a natural, natural born male married to his natural born wife. Natural born female. In a marriage relationship. United as one flesh. Last of all, in 1988, a law was passed in Britain I'm I'm old enough now to remember this. It, It wasn't such a long time ago, 1988. A law was passed in Britain that prohibited, it banned the promotion of homosexuality, the promotion of homosexuality in schools. Think about how it is now. Think about what I said earlier with the rainbow flag, the LBGT flag on school notice boards. Um, and the, this filthy book that's being promoted in primary schools about trans- transgenderism. Well, the law was passed in 1988 banning the promotion of homosexuality in state schools. It said that a local authority shall not intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality or promote the teaching in any maintained school of the acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. Just wasn't allowed. Not so many years ago. What's happened? How different things are now. How very different. And we now live in an age where a male can just... You, you can be a female tomorrow and perhaps decide to be a male the day after that and changes as the weather changes and nothing seems to matter anymore just do what you feel is right in your own eyes never mind the fact that God made us male and female so can you see how times have changed in fairly recent times with homosexuality transgenderism uh, same-sex marriage now being promoted in schools and enshrined in our laws. Though the rebellion against God is willful, and to me it seems like it's gathering pace, it probably is and it's probably always been the same. I I can't imagine, well it was certainly bad in Sodom and Gomorrah many, many years ago, but things seem to be as bad as they get and uh, I guess that's always how it is. Though the rebellion against God is willful and gathering pace, 
God is nevertheless merciful towards all who come to him with repentant hearts. And by all I mean all. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's worth actually following this, I'll read it to you anyway, but it's a lovely passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 through to 11. Uh, It's a passage that we can all take great comfort from. We can be warned. It's a very sobering passage, but there are words of great comfort in there as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through to 11. Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. The the effeminate and the abusers of themselves with mankind, they're, they're the homosexual offenders, okay? So you've got that list of people, including homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul could not be clearer. And such were some of you, Paul says to the Corinthians. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that wonderful? Such were some of you. You were on that list. One of these things applied to you, and your name's there. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, washed in his blood, sanctified, made holy by the grace of God. So in that list of sins, you've got the effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind, the homosexuals, offenders, and the message for them is precisely the same as the message for drunkards and thieves and covetousness covetous rather and and I'm sure that wasn't that list wasn't exhaustive you could add various other things to that list horrible sins such were some of you but ye are sanctified ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God but the message is that the such people cannot be Heirs of God, they cannot be joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ of a heavenly kingdom. In other words, they they have no hope of glory. And people who claim to be Christians and yet who who indulge in any of these things, they are deceiving themselves. However, as Paul said to the Corinthian Christians, Such were some of you. You were, but you're not anymore. That really is good news, that the grace of God is greater than our sins, even those sins that God has declared to be an abomination. What a wonderful God we have. Therefore, whatever your sins are, whatever they are, turn to God with a repentant heart, believing that his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, having lived a sinlessly perfect life, has paid the penalty for your sins. 
Again, whatever those sins may be, Jesus has paid the price for them and he has redeemed you with his own precious blood. He's washed you, cleansed you, purged you, sanctified you, made you holy with his precious blood, clothed you with his righteousness and you stand before God, holy and without blame. May that be each one of us here and to God be the glory. Amen.